I'm Chad Rutherford. And I'm Andy Kinnick. And welcome to No Clip Pocket. Welcome to the Worldwide Wow. Today, we're going to be talking about Perfect Tides, a game that was developed by 3Bs, published by 3Bs, and released in 2022 on Windows and Mac OS. But first, if you can give us a like or a rating, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, so, Perfect Tides is a uh, point-and-click adventure game, and is uh, the, I believe, first release from this developer, uh, a studio that is largely just Meredith Gran, uh, from my understanding, and collaborators, mm-hmm. people who did artwork and music, uh, were brought on, but she was the principal, like, writer and story developer of this game. And, uh, this is one of those things that Mm -hmm. I feel like the things that, (laughs) the games that come to mind when I think of this are Firewatch and, uh, Outer Wilds, Mm. which is, this is one of those games that I feel like if you haven't played yet, we gotta give, like, a brief thing Mm. To give you warning, because this is a game that once you know a bunch about it, it's not going to be as enjoyable as it was. Would you say that you recommend Perfect Tides just on a on a totally blind playthrough sort of basis? Uh, I think it depends on what kind of person you are. Um, if you're somebody that likes, is nostalgic for like 90s point and clicks, if you like LucasArts, mm-hmm. or if you like like a personal narrative indie game. If you fall in either of those camps, I think I would recommend this to you. Yeah, I, I would say about the same. Uh, and and so I do recommend the game. I think that if you have an interest in playing it, I don't recommend listening to the podcast. As we've said on multiple occasions, we're not really like a strictly to-purchase review kind of show. Nah, it's book club format. Yeah, so so don't listen to this if you want to play the game. It's going to make the game worse. And also, just as a side note, I would also recommend playing this game alone, uh, which is mm. another weird thing that I also recommended on uh, Firewatch. Yeah. Let yourself sort of, like, become uh, immersed in the game. Don't let your own self-consciousness br- uh, get in the way of the message that the game delivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that out of the way, uh, let's talk about this game, this point-and-click adventure game. Uh, I do not know where to start, which makes me want to talk about <laughs> the fact that this is the most classic throwback to adventure games that I've seen in uh, ever. I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, to the point where it's like made me want to replay some old ones because, mm-hmm. like, I feel like we've we've been. <laughs> like been very selective with the ones that we've talked about yeah because like this definitely had some pixel hunting and moon logic in a way that like i hadn't experienced in a while <laughs> like um like the screwdriver yeah and like um there's a part towards the end where you had like uh trashing simon's house uh okay well apparently it is, that doesn't have to happen um <laughs> Uh, and I was like on that screen clicking around everywhere for the last thing to smash right. for like 10 minutes. So. Well, thank God I didn't have to do that. <laughs> uh, stuff like that. Yeah. P- picking a piece of brown paper out of a garbage mm-hmm. can. There's a lot of stuff in here that, that is a little bit, I, I think, and it's, it's weird to me. I'm glad, honestly, that we started by saying I do recommend this game. 
uh, and it is good because I am going to say that the adventure game elements of this game were very, uh, I would say, needlessly included. <laughs> yeah, it's it's messy. <laughs> yeah, in the, that way, the games that we've talked about on the podcast that are adventure games have skewed largely toward either modern interpretations of the genre or LucasArts games. And there hasn't been a ton in between. There's the always outstanding Harvester, mm-hmm. uh, which the was the Cat Lady. Yeah, but Harvester was neither. Cat Lady's more modern, and like Grim Fandango is like obvious. Yeah, old. like a classic mm-hmm. go-to. And Broken Age, honestly, is kind mm-hmm. of it falls in that camp as well. It's a Tim Schafer game. So. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this harks more back to the old like Sierra games, where you have the option to touch or move. And they're separated. It's not a, a single action on a on a click, uh, and that is uh, how you interact with this game. It is it is a point and click adventure game in the, in those ways, but the story and everything sort of f- unfolds with very little interaction in between. Like you do a couple of things in the point and click, and then you have a long period of time, often where there are just events happening Mm -hmm. and you don't really have a lot of like wandering around to do. Uh, And I think those are like very obviously the strong points of the game. And it it made me really sad, like to, (laughs) to go back and be like, I'm very frustrated. Yeah. Cause a lot of this game is really aimless. Like you don't get a lot of direction on, on where to go. And it is a, a first effort. And I imagine that that has something to do with it. Uh, mm. There's there's pro- there's probably a desire to make it closer to adventure games than to try and do your own thing. Yeah, it it, mm. might, it also kind of read to me. Um, the developer Meredith Grant has like a playthrough mm-hmm. on her YouTube channel that I started watching and am going to watch the rest of tomorrow probably <laughs> if I have the time. Uh, I'm curious to hear her talk about it because like it also kind of reads to me like maybe like a modern kind of headspace of like, I want to make it open. Hmm. Um, you know, like one of the things she said is like, right after you fix the wagon, the first thing you have to do, uh, she had like a build of it where you had to go straight to your house, but she instead made it so you can explore the whole town. So I, I, I don't know exactly what, how it's motivated, but um, I, I found myself feeling like similarly, like, it is a little aimless, and I think the fact that it's got a small map, you know, yeah. like, the town is pretty small. Like, you run into that problem of, like, you've already explored everything, so each new day you have to go explore everything again, and it makes it easy to overlook stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you go past the same stuff, and especially when you get roadblocked. Like, uh, there's a part in the winter... I'm going to say I would have done this today. So I feel like it had to have been the winter where you have to go into the nightclub, Mm -hmm. the nightclub that has been locked for the entire game. And so you just run right by it. You, that alleyway has the the nightclub with a locked door and one set of fire engines. And that's the only thing in there. So you just avoid that alleyway. 99% 99% of the time, it just happens that, with no indication that it's the case, it's the correct place to go in the, on that particular mm-hmm. day. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there were... I spent, like, nine hours in this game. I conservatively spent two hours of that time <laughs> literally just walking around wondering what I was supposed to do next. Yeah. Um, 
and this, this sort of bleeds into another point that I want to make. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to try and spin it positively to yeah. maybe get into another part of this. Yeah, there's good stuff to say, too. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a messy game, so. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah, we'll get the bad stuff out of the way. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, the aimlessness of everything and, and going around uh, from place to place, uh, it... it sort of works in service of the fact that this game has not multiple paths, the same basic events play out no matter what you do. It's a lot of hidden stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of hidden stuff and a lot of it that affects the ending of the game. And uh, we know how I feel about multiple (laughs) endings in games. Uh, I don't think they're 100% bad, but I feel like you need a pretty good justification for using it, and it's being overused in the industry generally, uh, to summarize. But uh, this game is a masterwork in (laughs) taking agency away from the player. There's a lot of things that you being in control of Mara in the way that you would in an RPG, Mara would not do. (laughs) Because Mm. you are an old, wise man in your 30s when you're playing this game. And you know when shit is sketchy and bad. And the game doesn't let you do that. Like, it doesn't let you step in and, and have reason. The main things that you have agency in, you don't even really know about. Because they're like little hidden objects all over the game. So, I really like the way that the game handles itself when it's telling its story. Mm-hmm. But when it is being a video game, it feels like it's like, yeah, you have tons of things that you can do to make each playthrough different. And the result is I hated that. I hated that part of it. I didn't like to go around and search out different things to do because I thought it could potentially make my ending better. Yeah, I, I like the idea on paper mm-hmm. um, that to like reward the curious player for finding all the little things and thinking to do certain things and combining things and talking to certain people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think as a, re- it, it, I think it goes a little too far with it. Yeah. As a result, I think it buries a lot of its like best content, uh, under stuff that a lot of people w- won't do. I, that's probably true. And I probably don't know a lot of it. Yeah. I found out through this, about this game through like a recommendation video that was mm-hmm. probably put out like two years. Well, it couldn't have been two cause this game <laughs> like last year. Yeah. yeah. So the video would have been last year. And, um, the game stood out to me, so I recommended it for the podcast. But it, and I rewatched the video just, but like an hour ago, and like just from watching that, I'm like, oh yeah, like there's got to be like so much stuff in this game that I just did not see at all, just from like a few clips <laughs> that yeah. were in the video. Yeah, it's it is there's there's just a lot kind of going on, and it's a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily even know it's possible to miss. Mm-hmm. Um, Though, I guess, there's an argument to be made that there's, like, a meta element to that, where if you understand the genre, you're more likely to know that there are things that are going to be irreversible. The game allows for unlimited save files for reasons like this. Yeah. Um, I'm just past that point in my life, I think. Like, I no longer want to set up a million save files and check to see... Uh, oh, did I get this and that? What was my... I, don't, I have no idea what my score at the end of the game <laughs> was. 
Uh, I just know that I wanted my decisions to not necessarily to matter, but to be final. Uh, and I missed what I missed. And when I got to the ending, it was a little bit unsatisfying. But I honestly, if the good ending is like truly good, I would be even more unsatisfied with that. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure on it. And I don't like that I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I wish that I could come in and say... I thought the ending of this game was good or bad because of this, mm-hmm. but now I have to temper it with, I don't know, maybe there's an ending that I think better fit the way that I was seeing the situation. Yeah. Uh, but that's just me hating on multiple endings <laughs> again for the millionth time. Yeah, it definitely feels like a product of a bygone era or like um, something that like you did when you were younger, when you had more free time. And that's like what the game is about. Yeah. So I can barely fault so like, it for thematically, that. Thematically, it makes some amount of sense. Yeah. So I think, I don't know. Are there other things about the adventure game sort of premise that you want to dip into? Uh, or should we get into like what I think are really the meat and potatoes of this? Uh, which is the characters in the story. Oh, let's get into those meat and potatoes. All right. I like straight to the point. <laughs> uh, so this story is about a uh, a child, a 15-year-old teen mm-hmm. uh, who lives on an island named Mara. Uh, the island's not named Mara. The character <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> the, the island is named Perfect Tides. The island is named Perfect Tides. Uh, and it's set in the year 2000. Uh, the adventure game sort of setup goes a long way to drive home the nostalgic era of this game. Uh, at no point was I like, "Where's the, where are their iPhones?" Right. Like it, <laughs> it made sense to me looking at it, uh, what the level of technology was and how everything was set up. Um, and I, I want to call out specifically the very first scene of the game because I think it is really good and does a great job of putting you into the headspace that you need to be in in order to enjoy this game. Uh, it starts with your friend Lily uh, confessing to you that she just had sex with a guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you are me and don't know anything about this game coming into it, my initial response was like, I don't fucking care that <laughs> Lily had sex with some guy. Uh, and then you get Mara's reaction to it. And she is uh, understandably, in retrospect, very overwhelmed by this news and has like a whole bunch of thoughts about it in a, a lot of different ways. And it made me think like, right, year 2000, this is a 15 year old. At this point, like you do, it does matter a lot yeah. that Lily has had <laughs> sex with some guy. Uh, and there's a lot going through your head. And then you get off the boat, and on the very first screen of the game, there is a reference to the song Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, so I actually still am 15. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that song rips ass and is great. Uh, so I jumped into the year 2000 pretty effortlessly, given the brief two-scene setup that I had. Of getting into this game, not knowing it was set in the year 2000, not knowing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it pulled me in immediately, which I thought was very important, because as the game goes on, you need to take Mara's perspective very seriously. Uh, yeah, it, it very much feels like a passion project, um, like obviously by somebody who grew up in this time period. Yeah. And I think she really nails it. Um 
Yeah, like the um, I, I like the inclusion of like actually having the dial-up sound play when you log onto the internet and having it you make having it actually make you wait. Yeah, as she boots it up, um, like little touches like that. There's like a lot of little things um that I think really uh sell that. Like the the era, yeah, that it, yeah, that it counts in. Uh, yeah, I I and I think all of that setup is very good, and they do a good job with it. Uh, I am, I am, I mean, we are a little bit younger than yeah. Mara is specifically like she's, I think she's born in like 88, 85, something yeah. like that. I think I was in third grade in the year 2000, 2000? so. Oh, well, the year 2000. Yeah. I would have been in fourth, mm-hmm. uh, because as it turns out, I, as much as I didn't want to believe it, everyone does in fact remember where, where they, they were are. on line 11. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I do remember <laughs> I was in fourth grade that year. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole whole thing. Yep. Uh, <laughs> thank God that that hadn't happened uh, yet during the yeah. during Perfect Tides. Would have been all the game was about. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, it's it sets everything up and the sort of like the the moment to moment plot as you go through the game. It is very important. It's important especially to develop the characters. But characterizing Mara is such a tricky thing to do uh because of uh, sort of her her demeanor her situation and the story that it's trying to get across and the single thing if i had to narrow it down that i'm most impressed with with the writing in this game is how interwoven every element that's chosen for the setting and the characters really is because Mara is uh, 15, her dad has died, the year's 2000, she's a, a, a fan fiction writer online in the budding days of the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's Jewish, and uh, she has a sort of like an inferiority complex, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of what we then would call teen angst and would now <laughs> call clinical depression. Uh, and so... the. Every element of that plays into all of her interactions with every other character and a lot of just objects and things in the world. Uh, and the, as, as these things keep coming up, the more and more impressed I got with it, uh, including the way that she interacts with media. There's uh, a sort of pseudo Final Fantasy VII in the game. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you mean a blatant Final Fantasy Seven? <laughs> a really blatant Final Fantasy Seven in the game, um, and like things like that, and, and and how it like plays in with all of the other things that she does. Like she knew about the twist in Final Fantasy Seven because, of course, she did. She's a a fan fiction author. Like, yeah, that's who's like on, very online. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that stood out to me too. Is that she said that she knew about the twist and because of that, she's put off continuing the game. Oh yeah. Like that, that's something that feels like a nice little bit of characterization. Um, I, I remember thinking initially like, Oh, like I, I don't really relate to that at all. Like I've heard <laughs> other people express similar things like putting off finishing something they like, mm-hmm. which I don't relate to, but like, I, um, but yeah, I just thought it was like an interesting, like, uh, example of like it it does sprinkle in like a consistent characterization for her and like every little interaction yeah it's it's just very thorough with everything yeah um and i was just really impressed by it i i thought uh the character work here was was really good 
Yeah, like it, it almost kind of gave me like um, Life is Strange vibes in the sense that like it's rare for a game to really like suck you in to just like living a character's life. Uh, and I think this game really accomplishes that. Like, um, like it had all its messy mechanical things, right? But like, I kept wanting to come back to it and like wanted to see what happened next. Like, you definitely get sucked into the story. Yeah, I largely played this game in two sittings, uh, and uh, <laughs> the it ended up being three. I wanted to finish it in two, but I got stuck in a loop of running around not knowing where to go Mm -hmm. uh so i went to sleep and finished it the next day uh and it was i didn't want to right like i was like i'll stop when i get to winter i got into winter and i said i would like to see this out like it especially there's a fall has a big climax moment in it and so it it really felt like there was going to be like a big thing that i needed to like keep going probably wasn't much i was wrong uh, I think I had like two and a half hours left yeah. uh, starting in winter. So I, I was not correct about how quickly it would go, but it did hook me and want me to keep playing. So so I have like two really big, long things that I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, I want do. I want you to do to give something so I don't just fucking blow hard the whole podcast. Uh, I mean... I feel like we've really kind of organically hit most of the things I have written down already. Okay, fair enough. Um, I guess, like, I have, like, two notes relating to what we were just talking about, but I don't know how much they're really going to add. Um, I just, I feel like this game, uh, we've already kind of talked it. it's, like, sets up the era of, like, being from the early 2000s really well. Um, and I feel like it it does it really like honestly and bluntly, mm-hmm. uh, like without rose colored glasses, uh, which is something I really like. Um, it's it felt a little over the top at times, but like um, like there's the scene in the classroom uh, in one of the first like not. <laughs> It's early in the game. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember what season it is. But, uh, like, the guy is like, oh, like, Mara, I've got my dick out or whatever. Uh And it's like he's got his finger through the fly. And, like, you know, it just progresses until eventually he just pulls his dick out for real. Yeah. And I was like, on the one hand, like, yeah, there were guys who probably did stuff like that. Probably not bold enough to do it in class, but I'm sure it happened. Right. Um, And, like, that was, like, a thing at the time. Like, like... (laughs) <laughs> like sexual assault shit like that was kind of like waved off as just like a prank or yeah. whatever like it definitely felt very of the times and an interesting thing to call out um so yeah I, it had stuff like that that i like it didn't sh- that it didn't shy away from it although i felt like it it could have been handled in a way that felt less uh over the top as i said right yeah i i will say like you like we talked about before with the the adventure game mechanics this is a rough game uh in terms of uh it's like mechanical decision making it's also rough to get through at times in terms of like its content as Mm -hmm. well because there are things that is i would okay i agree it is a little bit over the top counterpoint some guy did that to me in high school okay yeah Uh, i mean (laughs) (laughs) sure uh but the uh there there is like there's a lot of stuff that you don't see especially in games that basically share the views that this game has uh it it to me it's it's 
important to have things that push boundaries and transgress. Mm-hmm. And this game really shows sort of like this is how normal normalized everything was in yeah. 2000. A lot of the language they use is stuff that wouldn't be used in polite company, we'll say. Uh, and and there are, there is a lot of discussion of that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's also like one of the first things uh, that you can do, like right at the beginning, is you walk into the like visitor whatever building. Yeah. Uh, and the guy, what's his name? Jackson. Jackson. You're just like, oh, you know, the stranger. You sit on your hand till it oh. falls asleep and jerk off. <laughs> it's like okay. Yeah, seems a little odd true. for that to be like the first thing he says as like a 19 year old guy to a 15 year old girl that walks in. But... Yeah, somebody who he's like pretty familiar with. Yeah, now. yeah. Uh, I will say once again, this is not a medical <laughs> advice podcast. Has come up like at least on three occasions. Yeah, uh, you shouldn't restrict the blood flow <laughs> to any part of your body. Also. <laughs> I don't know if this is true. This is one of those, I heard it on the internet sort of things. Yeah. I heard when you're, uh, you have like your arm fall asleep or whatever, it's actually not the blood flow that's been restricted. It's that you're pinching the nerves. Oh yeah. I think and that that's is what true. makes it fall asleep. But either way, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. It's bad <laughs> for you and your hand. Uh, <laughs> But man, is your friend center in this game? Uh, this is not the biggest concern that I have, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I'd mention. But yeah, that was like the the uh, like the one other big thing I had to mention. Yeah, I I wanted to talk about. There's a theme in this game, um, and I I'm gonna <laughs> open with this statement because it's gonna become more pithy as time goes on and not have as much impact. Sure. Uh, this is kind of the game that I wished Night in the Woods was. Mm. Uh, and I I liked Night in the Woods. I thought it was a very good game. My biggest complaint with Night in the Woods is that I felt like I had played it before. Yeah. Uh, 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 most of the stuff that was in it was still really good, had good writing, good story. I like the game, go play it. Uh, this game is a game that was not pitched to me as anything, Uh Whereas Night in the Woods was pitched to me as being a game that has a lot to do with mental illness. This game handles it without putting it on the face of the game. Mm. And I think it does it really elegantly in a way that is much more show, don't tell. Yeah, I mean, it's never even stated. No. Like, or even suggested that she might have some kind of problem. I think maybe in the conversation with Neon Dragon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. But I think that's literally the only time. Uh, and I, I think it's really, it's done, it's handled in such a, uh, nuanced way. And especially through the lens of the time, uh, th- there's a lot for people to connect to. Uh, and one of the things that people seem to connect to, uh, mm-hmm. in stories like this is this idea of the lonely high schooler who is always being bullied, mm-hmm. like the outcast, uh, dirtbag kid that everyone kicks around. Your Spider-Mans of the world, right? Yeah. It's a really popular trope. And I always thought, and I don't think I thought it as strongly until I was playing this game, that a lot of this media, although it is good that there, because there are kids out there who who do connect with that media. Yeah. Um, and I would say probably a lot more than it really fits. But I feel like it creates an imperative in some kids to feel like they need to be, that they are being bullied 
by mm. everyone and it creates almost like a paranoia like a sense of like everyone is out to get me uh because i relate to this character and absolutely everybody wants to fucking i've joked <laughs> that, it, that it, like bullies in 80s movies are all actually just murderers <laughs> like <laughs> you get that like very visceral feeling of people like hating you and it's a really strong feeling one that's hard to shake and i was like that's actually when i think about it kind of a dangerous trope for somebody to take too much of like it's obviously good that there's media out there for these kids to attach to but it's bad if they think that that is somehow the key to success right Mm -hmm. and then this game fucking addresses it and it blew me away like it was just like mara thinks everybody's out to get her and that she has no place and that nobody likes her, even her friends, she thinks, are doing it out of pity or whatever. And you, as the viewer, get to see Mara's perspective on this. And you can also recognize the people outside of that are either genuinely people who care about Mara and trying to make a connection or people who recognize the cry for help as a cry for help and are trying to, to to do something about it. But it's impossible for her to see that as a genuine concern. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up turning on everyone. Simon on... Uh, Garfunkel. Gar- on Garfunkel, <laughs> on Hall and Oates, uh, her mom <laughs> and her brother. Lily, Jason. Lily, Jason, everybody she, she kind of turns on. And Jason, we can talk about if we want to, is mm-hmm. like a little bit more complicated because he actually does transgress. Uh, but yeah, most people sort of like, uh, they, they do try and bring Mara up and she fights back against it and people handle that in different ways. But it's interesting to see from an outside perspective, like the character being treated that way and also being treated in positive ways, but not accepting the positivity. Mm-hmm. It shows that there, there really is something wrong. Like there is a, a, a need so like need to to feel that love to feel the experience and uh Mars is a really complicated character because of that uh and I find it really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I like it made me like the character of Lily a lot. Mm-hmm. Like her inclusion cuz she's like seems to be the only one that like sees through it or like under like sees what's really going on with her and like understands that like she's not over dramatizing things, but like she's always making a mountain out of a molehill with stuff. Um, like she talks to him, or she talks to her about Jason, and she's like, "Oh, like you've been seeing each other for however long, right?" And blah blah blah, and like that's dating. Right. And then Mara's like, "No, he doesn't <laughs> like me like that." Yeah, or, you, you know, don't get the situation. Or yeah. whatever she says. So yeah, yeah, you get a lot of stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and it's hard to like really sum up, but like. Yeah, like, at least in the ending that I got, I didn't get any of the characters' endings. Like, <laughs> I missed a whole bunch of stuff. I didn't even know they were broken up by characters, yeah, so like, who knows? You can really? get, like, a ending with, like, all the major characters, I think. Mm. Um, and I didn't get any of them. So, um, anyway, uh, so, as I think I was saying, uh, f- at least in the, like, the, the way the ending of the game played out for me, it felt like it kind of, like, built up to um because in my playthrough like uh mara ended up having an argument with simon 
and like their relationship kind of ended on not the best terms. Right. Um, they kind of resolve things and they smash up his apartment or his house or whatever. But um, it, it really like highlighted her like lack of empathy mm-hmm. to me. Whereas like there were like multiple characters that would like say things to her about like what they're going through. And like, she just complete like completely glances off of her and she like makes it about herself. So yeah, I, I just, I think it's interesting how it like kind of like keeps, as you were saying, like it's like a it's like a nuanced, like organic, realistic depiction of somebody with depression. Yeah, it, it's something where she she does focus on herself. She focuses on uh, this idea that she is deficient in every way, and so ever nobody could possibly genuinely like her for any reason. Yeah, or have it worse than she does. Yeah, and or... then understand what's going on with her yeah they will call out that that does make me wonder what i did in my game uh because i had functionally no resolution with simon at all Mm. like there was a point where uh he was at the post office Mm -hmm. trying to get boxes and i surmised that he was moving but then i don't think that i saw him ever again after that if you go to his place on I think it's like I don't remember if it's day three or day two. Right. I think it must be day two. Uh and then day three he's moved out. Okay. Yeah, I think I went on day three and it said like doors locked. Mm-hmm. Sounds either asleep or out. Yep. Like, oh, I cool. think if you you if you do everything for his ending, he'll have like left you a note and like written you a poem or whatever. Uh, which I didn't get. No, yeah, me <laughs> yeah. me neither, for sure. But we did trash his place, so <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's there's a lot of really complex things in this game that I don't necessarily want to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, for one, for the sake of anybody who might have listened to this and not uh played it <laughs> against our wishes, against our wishes. Uh, so I I want to leave at least some things unspoiled. But yeah, there was a, there's a lot to the game. Uh, <laughs> and. We've touched on some of it, but just keep in mind sort of like that interconnectivity of theme, mm-hmm. I think is the key thing. There's a, there are a lot of elements of it. And, and we talk about, <laughs> we just sort of painted a negative picture of Mara in the idea of somebody who uh, sort of re- is narcissistic, refuses to, to accept uh, the love of other people, but you could spin that in a completely different way as well, because like Mara has herself been both emotionally and sexually abused, mm-hmm. uh, even just within the events of the game. So she has a lot of reason for the trauma that she experiences. And so, uh, it's, it's a really complicated character piece, uh, in a way that I genuinely am not sure I've ever seen done with this level of depth. Uh, especially given how short the game is on a whole. So mm-hmm. just really insanely impressed with all of it. Uh, big, big, big fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the art was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I like the look of the game. Yeah, we didn't really mention it at all. Uh, the pixel art stuff is done in a way that you would expect from this era, but I thought that the close-ups and stuff were animated extremely well. I liked uh, when she would like sit down on a couch or whatever. <laughs> Those always had like a particular uh, 
funny or like amusing look to them. Yeah. Like it, it has like a like a low budget charm. Solo dead. Like she's right. I think they, it gives it like a personality and a charm. Almost kind of like uh, how Sally Face did. Yeah. Yeah. It was sort of a there's a lo-fi aesthetic to it uh, mm-hmm. that I think just pays off mostly. Um, and then also the music, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked the music. I think that the theme, uh, like for the menu, yeah. is uh, a really good track. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was weird. It came on and I was like, this kind of sounds a little reminiscent of a Final Fantasy track. Ah. Uh, and then later they have the Final Fantasy VII thing. I was like, oh, maybe that was intentional. Yeah, they could. Maybe. I don't know anything about Final Fantasy, so... <laughs> Very well could have been. Um, I, but I do have to call out that the at-home song, mm-hmm. that because I was so frequently sprinting around the island <laughs> and then returning home to see if maybe it was something I missed there, mm-hmm. uh, I heard uh, for about four hours, uh, as is a very not-repeat-friendly song <laughs> to me. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, it fits the time period that the game is is supposed to be em- emulating. But uh, god damn it, da 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 ba, da da, mm-hmm. so many times. Yeah, it just looped in my brain. Yeah, I I, I feel like at first I kind of thought the music like wasn't quite up to scratch, mm-hmm. uh, to where it like should have been, but like it definitely grew on me as the game went on. It has its own charm too. For sure. Did you stop the game when Mara was like, so you put a song called O2.mp3 in the main game file. <laughs> and then they're like, you mean what? And she's like, right, exactly. You can like. I do remember that part. I did not stop the game. Yeah, and you, look at it. If you quit out of the game and then put an MP3 file called O2, mm. it will play that song. Okay. Over the montage of them dancing. Oh. Yeah. And also, the as a funny side note, they did say like, uh, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I put it on the CD," and she's like, "And no crimes were committed at all." <laughs> uh, the joke being that. They didn't have to put a song, like a licensed song in the right. game. And you could have put a song in it. You that know, makes a lot more sense. However you get that song, you know, it doesn't matter. But I used a song that I have all the legal rights to use. <laughs> so technically speaking, a crime really was not committed. There you go. Uh, so there you go. That's uh, music. I wrote some of it, apparently. <laughs> Uh, do we have, this one's going to be, this is a little bit of a, of a brain teaser. So you have to think about it for a second. Uh huh. Do we have fire, but with a Y thoughts? Uh, my, actually that's something that, uh, the developer mentions right at the beginning of the commentary is that perfect hides is supposed to be based on fire Island. Uh, okay. Um, but anyway, um, my fire thoughts are, uh, yeah, this game yeah, is a little all over the place, um, but I feel like it's clear, like, passion project nature and, like, well-done character work just win you over. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and yeah, like I, this game ha- is getting a sequel. There's a Kickstarter for it if you want to back it. It's already met its goal, but uh, there I, and that makes me excited because I think there's like a lot of good storytelling and a lot of potential in this. Um, and I would like to see um, what they could improve on in a sequel. Um, but yeah, like I think the game definitely has that pixel hunting and that moon logic um, in there. And it's unfortunately, I think buries a lot of good content um, underneath of some obscure or obtuse puzzles. But, like, for what it is, like, I don't feel like I played it and, like, felt cheated out of, like, some of the content. You know, like, I still, like, enjoyed my time with it. And um, I'm really glad that uh, we did play it. Because, like, when I first started it and was kind of walking around the town not knowing what to do, I was like, oh, no, maybe that recommendation video was bad (laughs) and this game's gonna (laughs) not be any good at all and be boring Mm -hmm. uh but it came through uh i think the the game is definitely feels like a a unique uh hidden gem to me yeah uh uh, whoa i'm in front of the microphone oh look at me uh uh i gotta i gotta say i agree with uh most of what you said there i think i'm kind of surprised on a meta level, how much I enjoyed this game, uh, far more than I thought I was going to. The the adventure game elements that don't land really put more of a hamper on this than I would like. <laughs> I feel like it has a, uh, a really good base premise and insanely good writing to back it all up. Uh, and the fact that it is a... Uh, it is an adventure game means that it has to have this like baseline level of interaction. And a lot of it ended up being just putting too much space between the parts of the game that I thought were really outstanding. But looking beyond that, uh, this is one of my favorite like game stories, game characters, uh, that I've I've been through in a really long time. I was I was really taken aback because like I you we're both on the diehard Life is Strange fan train uh, and like a story that is more of a slice of life, something that is kind of down to earth. And uh, this this really hit those notes uh, way better than I expected it to. And I don't know, it got a tear out of me. Uh, and I think it's one of like, uh, I'm, it's not common knocks on a big manly dude, but games writing is usually about like, oh, they've got nukes over there. So we gotta go get them. Uh, and, and doesn't strike an emotional chord with me as often. So it's like, you know, one of those like five or so games that made me really like get invested. And so I don't know. I, I fell really hard for this game and thought it was great. Uh, Ten hundred out of fifteen. 
Oh yeah. Also, I I put a note down for this. There's no way of bringing this up. Uh-huh. It probably doesn't even need to be brought up at all. Uh, but for some reason, Jeff Rosenstock was in the special thanks oh, of the credits, which is weird. I can imagine. <laughs> well, I don't have to imagine. I listening to a bunch of Jeff Rosenstock and then writing a game like this. Uh, but it was I like I don't think he did anything. Yeah, like I think that she just likes Jefferson Stock and was like, yeah, whatever. Maybe, I, maybe he donated to the Kickstarter. He could have. That's not impossible. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's that. Just want to mention. Mm. Uh, thank you for listening to No Clip Pocket this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time we're to try something a little different. A little wacky and mm-hmm. wild. Uh, and <laughs> we're starting... This is your brainchild, honestly. Yeah. So this was a thing that we wanted... Or I wanted to do, I guess, uh, a while ago. And we did one episode of it and never did it again. <laughs> uh, which is doing some epilogue episodes. Uh, we did one on Undertale. Right. Like two or three years ago. Probably three. Yeah. Um, and... It's basically the idea is to like go back to some of the older games that we've done that were really early games or ones where we kind of feel like we don't know what we were thinking while we were recording it <laughs> and feel like we didn't say anything interesting at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to do a handful of those. And the one that we're going to do next time next is time. Shadow of the Colossus. Yes. This is the second game we ever did. It is. That's episode number two. Yeah, I think I think the focus is kind of like they're just things. Like if somebody, it's Shadow of the Colossus is a game that hypothetically somebody would look up like Shadow of the Colossus podcast, mm-hmm. and I would rather them hear <laughs> this yeah. than the one that we recorded in a big open room with one microphone. Yeah, and didn't really know what we were doing. Yeah, so so the, it kind of sort of is the the impetus, and I I got behind it. Uh, because it means I get to play Shadow of the Colossus again. It's a real good game. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. So join us next time for that. Uh, until then, you can get a hold of us. All of our contact information is on our website at noclippodcast.com or on splattershot.pro. There you can find links to our Twitter account, our email address, the Discord, where you can suggest games for us to play. Uh, and you can access all of our old episodes uh there or on our youtube channel including games that we've already mentioned like uh harvester and the cat lady and grim fandango in the point and click universe uh or life is strange any of them yeah night in the woods was also mentioned (laughs) yeah night in the woods um Lots of games that kind of butt up against this game Mm -hmm. uh in different ways here and there so Check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where don't, that inflation came from. Don't sit on your own hands. You can jerk each other off in the comments in the section. Comments. <laughs> Ring that bell. Smash that like button. Put them all in your wagon and take them home. Dun, 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 dun. Man, what a classic track that is. <laughs> da, 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 da. We're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. On Perfect Tides. Pirates of the Caribbean actually did their <laughs> own podcast about this back in 2012 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs>